The Word of God for our consideration this morning comes to us from the book of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37. The hand of the Lord is upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley, which is full of bones. He had me pass through them and go all over among, among them. There were very many on the valley floor, and they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these dry bones live? I answered, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I am about to make breath enter you so that you will live. I will attach tendons to you. I will put flesh back on you. I will cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you will live. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling, as the bones came together, one bone connecting to another. As I watched, tendons were attached to them. Then flesh grew over them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind that this is what the Lord God says. From the four winds come, O wind, and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. Breath entered them, and they came back to life. They stood on their feet, a very, very large army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They are saying our bones are dried up, our hope is lost. We have been completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them that this is what the Lord God says. My people, I am going to open your graves and raise you up from your graves and bring you back to the soil of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you on your own land and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. We pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who is brought to us courtesy of God the Holy Spirit, I'm reasonably confident that I could ask just about anyone in this room to describe the work of God the Father and the work of God the Son, the unique work that is attributed to them. Even children, and in fact, in just a few minutes, our Sunday school children are going to tell us all about the work of the Father and the Son. But, but what about the Holy Spirit? How would you describe the work, the role of the Holy Spirit? If you remember all the way back to confirmation class, you know that the work of the Holy Spirit is called sanctification. He's a sanctifier. What does that mean? That's one of those big, scary religious words that we, we maybe hear, but we don't really understand. Well, today what it means is that the Holy Spirit is the answer to the question that has plagued the human race ever since the fall into sin. The question, can these bones live? Context is always important. When you're jumping in, to an Old Testament book of the prophets, but especially you know, even when you jump anywhere into Scripture, to understand the context is very important. And the immediate context here was the fall of Jerusalem. Ezekiel's ministry spanned equally on either side of the fall of Jerusalem, and the first half of his ministry and the first half of his book is spent chastising, warning, 
preaching the law to the people of Israel. But now, now God kept his promise. He, he, he kept his threat. And Jerusalem had fallen to Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian army right around 596, 597 B.C. And now the message switches. Now that God has kept his word and, and the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed, now Ezekiel comes to a message of hope. He, he preaches the gospel to them. And they really needed hope at this point. While Ezekiel was, and the other prophets were preaching their warnings and their threats, they, they laughed. They didn't think God would do it. They didn't think God would dare destroy his capital city and his own temple. And then he did it. And their tune changed completely. The Lord summarizes what the national mood was like for those people in exile in Babylon in verse 11. He says, Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We have been completely cut off. It's hard to blame them for that despairing attitude, isn't it? They'd been conquered as a people. They'd been ripped out of their homes and forced into exile in a foreign land. And now their temple had been destroyed. That, that only point of contact that God had given them to receive His grace and forgiveness was, was destroyed. It was gone. Is it any wonder that they were hopeless? More than that, they knew that they were the chosen people, that the Savior of the world was to come through them. And they're gone. They're in exile. They're cut off. They're hopeless. This kind of hopeless attitude and despairing attitude is not a rare thing in the pages of Scripture either. This is not the first or last time that God's people would be so dismal, would have such a, a, a dismal outlook on life. Think of Abraham and Sarah. He's 100 years old, she's 90. And God had tied all of His promises to them to the fact that they were going to give birth to their own biological child. Think they had to wonder, can these bones live? Can, can these dead bodies really bring a new life into this world? Fast forward to 70 years after Ezekiel's time when the, the remnant of, of roughly 50,000 people came back to Jerusalem. That was hopeful. And then they got there and, and all that was left was a pile of rubble of their homes and their city and the temple. It was just rubble. And all around them on every side were neighbors who weren't going to let them rebuild. They didn't want Israel to be a nation. And it's strikingly similar to what's happening today in Israel, isn't it? They had to wonder, can this city be rebuilt? Fast forward another 400 years to the, the beginning of the New Testament. God had promised. He said the Savior is going to be an ancestor of David. Come from the house of David. Well, what did the house of David look like at this point? Isaiah described it as a, a dead trunk, a dead tree. The, Israel had again been conquered, been colonized by the Roman Empire. Israel had a king named Herod, but he was really just a puppet of Rome. They were controlled by the Roman Empire totally, so much so that, that they were all forced to go back to their hometowns because of Caesar Augustus' census. In all, in all likelihood, in all reality, the, the whole house of David, that once great house, had been 
condensed down to a poor carpenter named Joseph and an even poorer virgin named Mary. All the hopes of all the world, of all of Israel, hung on that couple. Could the line of the Savior really be perpetuated? Could the Savior really come as God had promised they had to be wondering? Can these bones live? We ask that same question too, though, don't we? Maybe we don't use those specific words, but I bet most of us, if not all of us, have stood at the graveside of a loved one and thought, am I really ever going to see this person again? This all seems so permanent, so final. Are they really going to return to life? Even for us here. We all reach that point where you look in the mirror and you realize, I'm not getting any younger. And it doesn't matter how carefully I diet. It doesn't matter how much I exercise. It doesn't matter how good my doctors are. Slowly but surely, I am dying. Doesn't matter if you've been married for a month and a half or half a century. You know that we've all had times in our marriages where you wonder, is this thing going to survive? It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like we're on the same page. It seems like the fire of love has gone out. Can this marriage really survive? Think about it on a spiritual level. We all know people who, who stood here and confessed the Christian faith and sang the hymns and heard the Word of God and received the sacrament. And now, by all appearances, they've been robbed of their faith. The, the, the concerns and the worries of the world have, like Jesus said, stifled their faith and killed it. Maybe it's even one of your own family members, a, a son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter, who have wandered away from the faith. Can they be saved? They seem so hardened in their unbelief. Can they really come back? On a, on a broader level, for decades now, our synod and, and her churches have, have poured tons and tons of resources into what's called outreach. That is, trying to gain new members for Christ, for the church. And what have the results of that effort been? That decades-long effort? Well, for decades now, Wells' membership has not really remained stagnant, but, but gone down a little bit. We're better off than many of the mainline churches out there, but, but we haven't grown. Many churches have ended up closing their doors. And you just look around, the world is as pagan and ungodly and immoral as it's ever been in American history. That seems, to our eyes, to be the result of all of our outreach efforts. Can these bones live? Can Christianity continue to survive in our country when every poll says that it's dying faster than it ever has? Can these bones live? To all appearances, to all of the observable evidence, no. No. The loved one you laid in the ground. No, none of us have seen a dead person, not even a dead believer, rise back to life. You look at yourself in the mirror. Science has had centuries of research and spent billions of dollars on trying to reverse aging, and you know as well as I do they have not succeeded in that. We don't really see the, the young confirmants who were just year, a few years ago standing here 
vowing to be faithful to Christ as Christ is faithful to them. We don't really see them streaming back in here to church, repentant and looking for forgiveness, do we? When your marriage is on the rocks, it often feels easier to just say, you know, forget it. Cut and run. Than to actually work at it and, and heal it. Like I said, every poll that's taken says Christians are not even half of the country anymore. Not even half of the country belongs to a Christian church anymore. And you know as well as I do how politics and politicians and laws have been written to further stifle the sharing of the gospel message. Can these bones live? Can, can, can these things survive? And the answer with our human eyes is no, they cannot. There's no way. It's hopeless. Just like those Israelites, we feel like we've been cut off. Thank God there's another answer. And and in this, Ezekiel is a priceless example for us. When you're dealing with those issues of life, those really, truly important issues of life, Ezekiel shows us where to go. Because when the Lord asked him, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Where did Ezekiel turn? He didn't turn in here. He didn't turn to his hands. He didn't turn to the brightest experts, medical experts of the day. He didn't turn to the most advanced science. He turned right back to the Lord. He put it right back on the Lord, didn't he? Lord God, you know. Why is that important? Because God knows. God knows something we do not. God knows something we could never know unless and until He revealed it to us. God knows the awesome, life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. God knows how powerful the Holy Spirit is to even bring dead things to life. But before we get there, There's one more thing that we need to repent of today that is change our minds about today. You see, we're so apt to confining God to what we understand. Trying to put God inside of a box of our own creation and saying, God, you can't do anything more than I say you can do. Why do we do that? Well, partially, I think it's because of our human arrogance. We're no different than Adam and Eve or the devil himself who really want to be God ourselves. But also, we live in a culture today which is relentlessly commanding us, follow the science, right? Follow the science. And sometimes we do. And by science there, I mean observable evidence, observable data, not not this quasi-philosophical religious stuff that's thrust on us, but actual science. And what happens when you follow the science with some of those things that we've, we've talked about already? Well, science says that an old man, a 100-year-old man, and a 90-year-old woman cannot have a child. That's outside of the realm of possibility, biologically speaking. Science says that... that the, the polls say that most marriages in America end. Up to 50% of marriages will come to an end. The science says that, that, you're, that dead people stay dead, obviously, right? Dead people don't rise to life. The science says that, that sin is more like a personality flaw or a mental disease 
then it is a deadly offense to God. And so science says that the way you deal with sin is through therapy or medication rather than repentance and forgiveness. That's what the science says. And sometimes we follow the science. Sometimes we figure that we can fit God into the, the finite space between our ears and we're supposed to repent of that to stop thinking that God is limited by the laws of medicine or science or biology or psychology because God is not. And, and if you have trouble accepting that, that, that God is much bigger than we are, much bigger than we can imagine, just put that reason of yours to good use. That's, that's how Luther said, reason is a gift from God, but it has to be put to the right use. It has to be a servant of the Scriptures, not a master of the Scriptures. So use that reason and look back to the Scriptures. 100-year-old Abraham and 90-year-old Sarah and their dried-up bodies had a biological son named Isaac. God, just as He promised, brought the Israelites back to Jerusalem where the city and their homes and the temple was rebuilt just as God said it would be. Think of the other miracles. Uh, the house of David that was whittled down to just Joseph and Mary. God didn't have to care about the laws of biology there either, did He? He caused Mary, a virgin, to give birth to His Son, our Savior, Jesus. And Jesus didn't care a whole lot for the laws of nature either, did He? He turned some well water into some top-shelf wine at a wedding. He walked on the, the wind and the waves of the Sea of Galilee. He cured incurable diseases. He, gave, he, he caused the lame to walk. Most importantly, though, he did things that all of our reason says is totally impossible, things that we can only accept by faith. He lived a perfect life. Science says that's not possible. Don't even we fall for that lie sometimes? We say, oh, nobody's perfect. Jesus was. Jesus carried the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders to the cross, which science says that's not possible. No one man can carry the sins of the world to the cross, but Jesus, as the true Son of God, did. He suffered an eternity for the sins of the world in the span of three hours on the cross, which boggles our mind, but he did it. Three days later, he rose again to life. Science says, Nope, that doesn't happen. And then as his very last earthly act, he defied the laws of physics and gravity by ascending into a cloud to his Father's right hand in heaven. Jesus didn't care much for what reason or science or logic say can or can't be done. He doesn't care too much what we say is possible or impossible. That's because God doesn't operate in our realm. You see that here in Ezekiel 37 too, don't you? The Holy Spirit didn't look at that valley of dry bones like Ezekiel did. You know, Ezekiel kind of had a blank stare, I would imagine, on his face. The Holy Spirit didn't see it that way. The Holy Spirit didn't see any obstacle there. The Holy Spirit put tendons and ligaments and muscle and skin back on those bones and then He breathed the breath of life back into them just like God did in the beginning with Adam. On Pentecost, 
The Holy Spirit accomplished the impossible again, bringing 3,000 people to faith in just a matter of a few hours. The Holy Spirit isn't worried about what we think is possible or impossible. The Holy Spirit operates in the realm of the improbable and the impossible. The main question we have to answer then today is, how? How does the Holy Spirit do these things, these impossible, incredible works? Well, how did those dead dry bones on the valley of, of death, how did they rise back to life? Well, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The Holy Spirit brought life to those dead dry bones through a, I'm just guessing here, dull, dry sermon preached by Ezekiel. Through the proclaimed word of God, he brought those bones to life. How did the Holy Spirit convert 3,000 people to Christianity on Pentecost? It wasn't through the tongues of fire. It wasn't through the roaring wind. It wasn't simply because they were speaking in different languages. It was through the Word of God and through the sacrament of holy baptism. That's how the Holy Spirit chooses to operate. That's not really anything new, is it? The universe came into being. Adam was brought to life. Abraham and Sarah had a son. God's son was born through the virgin. All just because God said so. God said so. That if you want to know where the Holy Spirit is working and the power behind or through which He works, you look at where God is speaking. God says so. That is the foundation of our faith and the foundation of our life. So, the loved one that you put in the ground they died in faith, they will rise to life again. God says so. The marriage that seems to be on the rocks, that there seems to be no saving, there can be reconciliation there through the powerful word of forgiveness because God says so. Hardened unbelievers can come to faith whenever and wherever God wants them to. God says so. The church will survive persecution and pandemics and lockdowns. God says so. Your sins have been forgiven and removed forever. God says so. Jesus said it. It is finished. Next time you look in the mirror and and what you see is a droopy, decaying, dying body, Know that through this medicine of immortality and the Lord's Supper, that body will live eternally. God says so. Can these bones live? In so many areas, it doesn't seem like it. Not to our human eyes or our human reason. It seems like it's hopeless. It seems like we've been cut off. But think of it this way. If if feeble, fickle humans like us can develop a vaccine for a novel virus in around a year, if we can invent cars that don't need any gasoline to run, if we can send robots to Mars, why would we ever question what God the Holy Spirit can do through the means of grace, through the Word and sacraments? Why should we question His power? 
He's proven he's fully capable of doing the impossible. And I guarantee he's doing it right now, too. Yes, through this dull, dry, boring sermon, the Holy Spirit is creating and strengthening the fire of faith in those dead, dry bones of yours. God says so. Amen.